Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know, sometimes as a new hunter, you just need these bad images to kind of get you excited again every so often. That's the best thing that we ever hear is like, hey, you know, you guys, your passion fueled our passion. The thing that's easiest to forget about is like, oh my gosh, this, you know, 800 pound bull elk, what if I accidentally kill one? <laughs> Do I need like llama training before I take a llama out in the back country? I don't think a deer or an elk really knows the difference between like a pack goat and maybe a bighorn sheep. The second that a llama smells or sees what they think is a bear, man, they let out this mind-numbing like velociraptor type if, if there's people out there that are wondering, like, I don't know if I can really do this or, you know, what if I fail? Like, who cares? You know, I mean, we we do it now and, you know, we're not we're definitely not successful every time and we're not even close to the best backcountry hunters out there. But, um, you know, we've, we've come a long ways. And so, you know, everybody can everybody can do that. This is Dustin with Team Backcountry and you're listening to Living Country in the City. Episode 20. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all. Thank you for joining me for Episode 20 of Living Country in the City. You know, it's hard to believe that I've already reached 20 episodes of the podcast, and <laughs> if we're being honest here, when I started, I wasn't really sure I'd be able to get much past episode two or three, you know, so so thank you so much to all y'all who've been supporting me by tuning in since early on, and another big thank you to y'all who've been subscribing. Okay, y'all, today on the line, I've got Dustin Whitworth of Team Backcountry. Now, Dustin and the rest of Team Backcountry are great guys. Super inspiring and encouraging, and while they likely won't admit it, super knowledgeable about the backcountry. Dustin, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. Oh, happy to be here. I was I was uh, glad glad when I got the message from you wanted to talk to me. So, so just really quick for those of my listeners who may not be as familiar with you guys, um, 
Why don't you give me a quick rundown of maybe your personal history with hunting and then just what exactly is Team Backcountry? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, my name is Dustin and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, one of the, the three guys that kind of runs team backcountry and, uh, you know, my, my personal, um, team backcountry includes me, uh, my brother, Jason and, uh, Corey Beckendorf. Um, Jason and I live, uh, down in Southern, Southern Utah, Southern Nevada area. Um, that's where we grew up. And then Corey lives up in uh, salt lake and and he uh that's kind of where where we met him and anyway um mine and jason's background is obviously uh going to be very similar um you know we we're just i I guess you would say the typical uh western hunters uh we grew up hunting hunting was definitely a tradition in our family um in fact my my dad and my grandfather ran a guided hunting business for oh, 20, 25 years, I think. Um, they were kind of at the tail end of that about the time I started uh, getting to the age where I was able to hunt, you know, around 10 or 12. Um, and that's part of the reason I think that, that my dad wanted to hang that up is so that he could spend time helping my brother and I and teaching us how to hunt, you know. And so that was, we're, uh, we're kind of the typical, your, your dad took you hunting and you know, back then it was, um, it was different than what we do now. Um, we, we would only apply in our home state of Nevada, which is a, a great place to, uh, to learn how to hunt. But, um, you know, we, we would, we, we didn't even really hunt elk back then, um, or antelope. It was just, just mule deer. And so we would draw our one tag a year and hunt it, um, you know, one, maybe two weekends a year. Um, I remember my dad being a, one of the football coaches at the high school. And so, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of weekends, honestly, to hunt. Um, but it was enough that uh, Jason and I, for sure, I mean, that it, it lit a fire in us. Um, even though we didn't seriously get into to hunting and, and specifically hunting the backcountry until probably, um, you know, 12 13 12 years ago um the the fire was lit in us you know just just the typical way uh hunting with our dad um Corey has has a little different story um he's from iowa originally and so he he moved out west um for for work and that's where we ran into him we all worked at the same uh sporting goods store up in salt lake called shields and if you're from the Midwest, you're probably familiar with Shill. I, I don't know. Um, but anyway, we worked up there in the hunting department and got to know Corey. And, uh, man, we could just tell he was, he was from our, uh, he was our type of guy. He, he had never hunted the backcountry before, but was completely gung-ho about it. And you could tell he just had that passion. And, and, and that's, you know, that's all we needed to know to, uh, to decide that we wanted to, this is a guy we wanted to hunt with. And so, um, you know, we, we went on our first elk hunt with him, uh, four or five, six years ago, whatever it was. And it, it was a long story, but he, he really impressed us with how, uh, how willing he was just to throw on a pack and, and hike in with us and, and do anything that he had to. I mean, that's, that's the thing about Corey and, you know, I, I know we're going to get into a lot of stuff on this podcast for, for guys that are just getting into it and stuff. But Corey, Corey's the, the best example of just 
being willing to go out and be with guys who were already doing this because he wanted to learn um, and figure it out. So anyway, that's uh, that's kind of team backcountry in a nutshell. All, all, all that we are, we get asked quite a bit about what we are or who we are. And, and we're really, it, it sounds simple, but we're really just a social media page um, that, that tries to post the best content that we can uh, doing the things that we do. And, and what we found is, um, there, there's, there's plenty of guys doing what we do, but not all of them are willing to, to take the time to, you know, take pictures and photos and, and then edit them and make them, you know, look a, a level better. Um, and so, you know, if, if, if we were willing to do the things that we were doing, hiking in 10 miles, killing bulls, killing deer, packing them out on our backs, um, stuff like that, and then document it that, Hey, like pe- people enjoy seeing pictures of that kind of stuff and even some video. So. Um, you know, that's, that's really all that it is. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're always looking to grow and take more steps and, um, but, but it, we're, uh, team, back into, we're trying to be organic, you know, we're trying to, uh, to do it the right way. Uh, we're not trying to get anywhere fast and we're just trying to be who we are. And, um, you know, if, if people like that and follow along on the way, then that's great. And, and if not, you know, the, the great thing is, is we would be doing this regardless, um, you know, so I, I love opportunities like this to talk, uh, hunting with guys. Um, you know, it's, it, it's what we're passionate about. So anyway. Well, you know, and I'll say that's, that's kind of one of the things that, uh, drew me to your page initially was, you know, as an, as a new hunter, I'm still, I'm still getting ready for my first backcountry hunt. And I, yeah. you, you know, I mean, you know how it is. There's, so much to learn. So, you know, when it comes to gear and when it comes to shooting my bow, and of course, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm I'm not making it any easier on myself. You know, I'm, I'm taking my bow with me. I'm not doing it with a rifle. And, um, so there's, you know, a whole nother level of stuff to learn with my bow and, and it, it can be very overwhelming. And, you know, sometimes as a new hunter, you just need these bad images to kind of get you excited again every so often and you know you need to watch these little short hunting films and you know and a lot of the stuff you guys post has been uh part of what's helped keep me motivated and keep me encouraged as i'm kind of going through my journey to prepare for my first big backcountry hunt well we we appreciate that i mean that's that's really you know we we do this we've been doing it for a while. And, and that's honestly the, that's the best thing that we ever hear is like, Hey, you know, you guys, your passion fueled our passion. Uh, you know, and, and when, when, when I got into this, um, when, when we got into this, I specifically remember, um, I, you know, I, like I said, I've hunted my whole life since I was 12, you know, and now I'm, I'm 31 or whatever. Um, but the, the day I, I remember the image that that really sparked my interest in hunting the backcountry and it was it was a cameron haynes um you know i mean he he was he was the initial if you haven't read his book um man uh backcountry bow hunting a guide to the wild side um you know and, and just a shameless plug because that that was that was and is the reason that you know i got into this is, is i read that book um but he had a specific image of, of hiking out of the backcountry just the gnarliest, like he had this huge heavy pack on and he had his bow in his hand and, and this big buck, I think, um, mule deer buck with velvet 
coming uh, out of his pack and the cape hanging out a little bit. And like, the, and I was just like, Oh my gosh, I have no idea how he pulled that off because to me, it was always, you know, four wheelers to the end of a road, hike around, you know, we'll pick you up at the bottom of this Canyon when you hike out from this road. And like, and it, it was, Oh, you got one. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll uh, back the four wheeler up to it and haul it back to camp. And so I'm like, I had no idea. You know, I, I saw this picture and I'm like, I have no idea how that happened or what he's doing to make, to be successful but I'm going to find out. And, and sooner or later, I'm going to be, I'm going to make a picture of myself, you know, <laughs> with, with that in that image. And, and it took a long time, you know, but that, that image is burned in my mind and it was for a long time. And if something means enough to you, eventually, you know, you just figured out and somehow, you know, we just dove into it and started doing it and figured it out. And, and we, we've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to take, you know, as bad a hundred as we are, honestly, we've taken a few of those pictures um, over the last few years. And it's just, you know, it, the passion doesn't get any, any, uh, you know, you don't lose it. You only get, get uh, it only grows stronger. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, uh, I'm, I'm looking at some of those pictures right now, actually uh, got the, got the antlers sticking out of the pack with the velvet on them, walking out of that back country. It's, I mean, <laughs> It's, you know, it, it's still, it, every time I look at this stuff, it just, it gets me excited. It gets me pumped for September and, uh, where, uh, where, where are you headed? So I'm, uh, as I keep saying, I, 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 unless I get super lucky with California draws, um, which I'm not yeah. sure anybody ever gets lucky with California draws. Um, I am, uh, I'm headed, uh, to do some over the counter tags in Idaho. Perfect. So, Perfect. Yeah, that's I, Idaho. I think Idaho, Colorado is probably two of the best uh, over-the-counter options uh, for guys in the in the West. I I've I've hunted both over-the-counter for elk, um, and and the only place I've killed an elk in over-the-counter was in Idaho. So I'll take but, that. Man, as that's a- I, I I I envy where you're at. I I would. I would love to be planning my very first again. You know, you, you can't just soak it in. You can't get it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, at this point, it's very literally all I can think about. It's, you know, the first thing I think about when I'm, when I wake up, I immediately am out of bed and it's going through my mind. And, you know, when I'm going to sleep at night, usually I'm falling asleep either you know, I've got my laptop open to Elk 101 or I've got, you know, Renella's uh, guide open or something. And I wake up with a, you know, book smashed against my face or something. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's all I can think about. And every moment of my free time is pretty much spent uh, preparing for this and thinking about it. And my friends have all kind of wondered where the heck I've gone. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, so I, I remember I'm thinking back to one of my first backpacking elk hunts and it was actually in Colorado and I didn't, I didn't kill one luckily because the point I was going to bring up is I was going to ask you, have, have you thought about how you're going to get it out? <laughs> Cause that's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's like the, the thing that's easiest to forget about is like, Oh my gosh, this, you know, 800 pound bull elk. What if I accidentally kill one? <laughs> 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 yes, I got one. Oh, 
crap. Oh, now <laughs> how many trips is this going to take and how miserable am yeah, I going to be no. by the end? Um, well, you know, and, and of course that brings up, uh, you know, something that I know you guys are actually, at least from what I understand, you guys are somewhat experts in is, uh, you use pack animals a lot. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, the, the guided uh, hunting that my family did for years. I mean, we, at, when they were really going with that, they had, I mean, they had a string of eight or 10 horses all the time. And so we, that's how we grew up hunting was, you know, a, a good three or four hour ride on a horse. And then, you know, you, you knock a buck down and uh, you know, you had to throw it over the saddle and, and learn how to tie it up and stuff like that. So we've, we've had quite a bit of experience growing up with horses. Um, but since then, there's just some things about horses and guys that have been around horses know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, a horse is great because they can, they can carry a lot of weight, you know, and they can carry you, which is the big advantage. Um, but it just wasn't for our style of hunting. It wasn't quite what we wanted. There was a little too much maintenance there. We had to take care of them too much in camp and all that kind of stuff and feed. And um, then there's the personality stuff and, Anyway, so since then we we uh, we've kind of gotten into these pack llamas uh, pretty pretty hard. Um, they just seem to be the the really good mix. And so we've for the last two years we've started running a, you know we we hunted with them ourselves and and that was all we needed to uh, to know. We we rented them from a guy up in in Idaho, in fact, um, uh, Bo Beatty and his and his wife uh, Kirsten run Wilderness Ridge Trail trail llamas and man you like they they've got a dialed operation we're just getting started but these guys i mean he has like 45 or 50 packing llamas i think and and that's not enough you know we 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 talked to him quite a bit and he just slammed busy so um you know that's where we started we rented from him and like man this is just for us this is perfect so we we invested in uh, four packers ourselves and and three females um and so we've got our packers this will be the second year that and, and we've already got them pretty much booked out for the year uh next year that's how that's how popular they are and um so yeah we've 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 got some experience with the pack llamas and you know and that, and that can be a really good option for for some guys i know there's some pack goats out there too that you can rent um and i i actually have a lot of goats but none of them are real pack goats <laughs> um, but I, I can imagine how they would be. So, you know, we've, we, we've kind of one way or another, we've, we've got some experience with, with most of the major pack animals. So I, I, I think, I think for a guy that's, that's just starting out, um, and it, it's going to be a first hunt, um, especially if you're going on an elk hunt and, and you're, you're planning to go into the back country, um, unless you've got maybe, you know, four to four or five buddies that are just on call to pack a bull out, which, you know, is really hard to find. Um, man, I, I don't know if I would go, I personally wouldn't go into the backcountry without a pack animal on an elk hunt, you know, at least a, a packer may be lined up to come in. If I, you know, get in with the satellite phone and tell them where I'm at, or I'm taking them in with me, which, you know, I prefer to take them in with me because, you know, then they can pack my stuff and I don't have to. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, I, I, I think that can be an ace in the hole for guys that are just starting out. Um, you, you don't, you know, the, the trick with backcountry hunting, I think is, is the, 
a lot of it is the weight and the, you know, being able to handle your pack and being in shape and, and pack animals can kind of eliminate that. You know, I mean, if, if you do it right and you get enough of them, I mean, we've, we've packed in, you know, 10 miles for a week long hunt and I have nothing but water in my pack. You know, it, it might weigh 10 pounds or something like that. Um, and, and guys, guys that never have never hunted it or never, you know, experienced the backcountry. I don't think you realize how taxing that is on your body when you're starting at the trailhead at, you know, in, in Idaho, you might start at 5,000 feet and end at, you know, 8,000 feet or Colorado might be even worse. You know, you can get up around 10 or 11,000 feet pretty quick there. And man, by the time you get in there with a 50, 60 pound pack on, you might be a day and a half of recovery, you know, if, if you're not in really good shape. And so, um, and we're, most of us are working guys and we don't have a lot of vacation. And so you've got to make, make the most of it. And so I, I think, um, for a few reasons, I think a pack animal is just a smart way to go for a guy that's, that's uh, just getting into hunting the backcountry. So, so now with the, with the pack llamas, um, do you, I mean, are they really just a resource for bringing, bringing stuff to where you're setting up, you know, say elk camp, um, and then do you leave them at the camp or do you actually bring them along with you to, you know, while you're out doing yep. some spot and stock? No, that's, that is one big advantage between the llamas and the goats. So when, when we started researching it, we almost got into the pack goat thing. And one of the things that we didn't love about them is most guys that you talk to, um, the, the, the pack goats, the reason that a pack goat is a good pack goat um, is they're usually bottle fed. So they'll, they'll pull, as soon as a, a pack goat is born, they'll pull it off its mother within, you know, probably the first week and they'll bottle feed it. Someone, someone will bottle feed it. And that's what gets a goat when a goat's been bottle fed, you know, just like most animals, um, they, they're super attached. They almost, they almost start acting like a dog. You know, they come up and they want to see you um, because they've created that bond. And so pack goats, a string of pack goats are usually all bottle fed. And so they're, they're, they're very attached. And so the problem with that, the, the great thing about that is that as you're packing in on the trail, um, guys usually don't have, you know, I don't see guys with, with, uh, lead ropes on them usually, um, because they're, you know, they, they're just naturally kind of following, following where you're going. Uh, but the disadvantage is, is some of the guys were telling us, and, and again, we, I, I, I'm not going to say that I've packed with goats, but like I said, I've, I have goats and I've spent quite a bit of time, uh, around them. But, um, the problem was is they couldn't leave them in camp, uh, because they just, uh, if they staked them up, it, they probably were making too much noise or whatever. Um, and so the goats were coming along <laughs> and, and I, I don't know that, you know, the stories that we heard from the guys that have been doing this for a long time, it's, it's never really cost them. Um, in fact, uh, you know, one guy that we talked to, he, he claimed that, uh, you know, having the pack goats there, uh, you know, because I, I don't think, and I believe this, I don't think a deer or an elk really knows the difference between like a pack goat and maybe a bighorn sheep, uh, mm -hmm. for example. And, you know, and there's a lot of these units that there's sheep running around. And so I, I can see, you know, how that would be a good, almost a decoy. Um, but it was just, 
regardless, it was just something we didn't want to have to worry about. Um, the other thing with goats was, uh, you know, they don't have the insulating wool like a llama has. And so what that means is if there was a storm coming through and there was, they were going to get wet or, you know, really, really low temperatures, um, you, you kind of had to watch out for them. You know, they had to have a shelter. They couldn't get wet and then get really cold. Um, the llamas were completely different. I mean, these, these things are built and born in the backcountry. You know, they originate from the, uh, I think the Andes mountains, uh, down South. Um, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but, um, I mean, these, you know, they're packed with wool, um, wet, cold, doesn't really bother them unless it gets really, really extreme. Um, and most of our hunts are, you know, August, September, October, and it's, it's just not that bad yet. Um, you didn't have to bring them with you to, you know, to answer your, your original question. No, we, we stake our llamas out, uh, back at camp. And as if there's enough feed up there for deer or elk, there's usually enough feed to stake our llamas out for at least a day, um, without moving them. And some, some hunts, you know, you get up, especially years like this, when there's, you know, we've had crazy snowfall, um, up in that high country, there's going to be grass for days. And, and we've left them, we've been able to leave them in the same spot, staked out on the same thing for, for multiple days because they just, they can't eat all the grass that's there. Um, <laughs> water, <laughs> watering was another, was another huge advantage. Uh, llamas are part of the camel family. And so there's times, especially once we get them packed in and they're not doing any work for, you know, six, seven, eight days sometimes we'll take them to water every other day and half of the time they won't drink. Um, it, it's just in their nature. So that was a huge advantage. They're super low maintenance, but they can pack a lot more than a go. Um, just, just the right fit for the type of hunting that we did. So anyway. And what about, I mean, what about predators? Like if you're, you know, you got a goat and that thing's falling around with you, you know, it, hopefully you may not be as bothered by bears or wolves, but what about the llamas? The, the llamas, um, you know, it's, it's the, it's the funny joke that you hear, right. You don't, in, when you're in bear country, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if it came right down to it, and I was hunting in grizzly country. I hate to say it and, and don't tell my, my, our uh, pack llamas, but I, I'd sacrifice one of them for my own life, I guess. But <laughs> maybe <laughs> shouldn't say that out loud on your podcast you got a a lot of people in the city that are probably not going to like that but um anyway (laughs) no that that don't do not get me wrong that's not at all why we take pack llamas or anything like that that was just a bad joke but um as far as predators like we we've actually found the llamas to be an advantage um they have like llamas are super skittish with with predators and and they're super um i don't want to say protective but they they're uh, they're always on alert you know um we we've seen it a couple of times with bears um i we've obviously we've never had an encounter with a, a mountain lion yet but um we have had some encounters with bears and i'll tell you the second that a llama smells or sees what they think is a bear man they let out this um almost ear like it, it is this uh mind-numbing like velociraptor um, <laughs> type screech i mean I, I would do it but it 
I, I can't. It's it's like this laughing, like, and and it. I mean, you can hear them forever. And so, um, you know, we've up to this point, we've never had a problem with bears coming into our camp when the llamas are staked up. You know, and 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 I don't know if that's why if those bears don't like that that alarm going off or or not, but it definitely lets us know. And so. You know, at night, um, man, we, we will we'll stake up our, our little one-man tents, um, you know, which is, is no, I mean, a bear would go right through these, these tents that we have, you know, and we'll stake these llamas as close as we possibly can to those tents, just knowing that that llama will bed down right outside of our tent. They don't, they don't seem to sleep. I never see them sleep, but I'm sure they do. Um, but man, just knowing that, that that kind of that alarm warning is, is right there if something's coming in, um, just helps you sleep better at night. So, but they're, yeah, they're, they're very uh, alerting and very warning and, and they're always, you know, they're always looking around and on edge and, and, uh, and that's, that's one thing we like about them. So. That's interesting. Now, um, is there any, I mean, I don't know if this is a dumb question or not, but is there any sort of like, you know, say me as a new hunter and I'm like, okay, I like, I like the idea of taking a pack animal. Llamas sound fantastic. Is there any sort of llama training? <laughs> I feel dumb asking this, but do I need like llama <laughs> training before I take a llama out in the back country or is it, is it pretty well, self-explanatory? I, I, I think that you do need training. Um, but, but we, we actually, when we rent them to people, and I, I know that Bo uh, with Wilderness Ridge does the same thing, obviously, because I rented from him. Um, we put you through what we call an orientation, and it's, it's anywhere from maybe two to three hours. Um, and and we, we go through everything. And, and what I tell people is if you're completely unfamiliar with, with llamas or pack animals in general when you show up, you give us like three hours and, and by the end you, you'll feel comfortable enough, hundred percent comfortable to take them into the backcountry. Um, you know, we go through the entire, you know, we go through the personality traits, we go through maintenance and, you know, what the llamas are expecting and, you know, what, what you can expect from them. And then we go through the entire, you know, saddling and unsaddling uh, process with the, the panniers and, you know, how to get the packs right and how to put the packs on. We make you do it. You know, it's not just us talking. You actually have a llama there and we go through the process. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I, I do think you need some training, but a good three hour orientation with, with a good llama or someone that, you know, someone that's there that knows llamas and I, I, you know, like, like we do, I mean, we feel hundred percent comfortable sending, sending, uh, you know, complete novices out, um, with their, on their first trip with llamas. So. Okay. So there's, yeah, there's a little bit of orientation involved more than necessarily yeah. extensive, extensive training, but, uh, right. you know, and, 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 and like, you know, in contrast, I, I would never knowing what I know about horses. I, I almost don't care what horse it was. I don't think that I would feel comfortable sending any person who's never been around horses out by themselves with their own horse for the first time. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I couldn't um, even imagine. Right. I mean, it, you'd have a rodeo up on the mountain. I, I think eventually um, there's just so many little things with horses that you've got to know. And every horse is different. And when you're riding them, it's different. 
with llamas, it's, it's really pretty low key. You know, you're, you're hauling them or you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, they're trailing you with the lead rope on. And so it's just, you know, it's not quite like walking a dog, but it's more similar. (laughs) So. (laughs) So say, you know, I, I'm like, okay, once again, I'm sold. I go, go on my trip, do my orientation, pick up my llama. Um, this is just a strange conversation for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, say normally, okay, uh, I'm going into the back country with a, a 50 pound pack. Um, you know, I go get my llama. I know obviously it's, there's going to be some additional, you know, feed and, and equipment, uh, to go with the llama that, uh, but how much weight do these llamas pack? Like, so say I go get my llama, I'm successful. I get an elk. Maybe uh, how many how many trips back and forth would this take with the llama? What do you uh, you know? How much usually do they carry? So uh, the first thing is we and 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 any any organization that I know that rents them, uh, we rent them out in pairs. Uh, llamas are are very um, you know they're very social creatures. They they like to be around other other llamas, and so. Um, they, they get kind of weird by themselves. Uh, we always send them out in pairs at least. Um, that being said, uh, you know, the llamas that we have, these, these are big, strong packers. Um, they're specifically bred to pack. So it's a specific breed and a registration called a Cara Llama, C-C-A-R-R-A, I believe. Okay. Um, anyway, and, and, and these, these boys will handle 80, 80 pounds, uh, all day for as long as you can probably hike them. Um, and so, you know, you got two llamas, you got 80 pounds, 160, you know, 150, 160 pounds. Um, you know, you can do the math. And if, even if you were to just eliminate your pack, you know, of 50, 60 pounds, you know, you've still got a hundred plus pounds of extra weight to work with. Um, the problem that most guys have at that point is they don't know what to throw in there. I mean, I, I remember on the first time that we took them, um, we were like walking through Walmart in Idaho on our way up to the trailhead. And we're just like, you know, cause, cause we've been doing this backpack hunting for, for, you know, years and years. And we, we spent hundreds and thousands of dollars trying to whittle down ounces and just like every little, <laughs> you know, just like everything we can do, like I'm cutting the, you know, cutting the end of my toothbrush off and like just all these stupid things. And now you're telling me that I've got, you know, 150 pounds of stuff that I can carry. Like we didn't even know what to do. We're like walking through and we're like, well, we might as well throw in a six pack of Dr. Peppers, which was the best decision we ever made. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, you're just not used to, to thinking like this. And so, you know, two, two llamas, 150, 160 pounds all day, um, you know, you got to plan for the kill and, you know, uh, um, you know, a, a big, if you're talking a bull elk, a big bull elk, um, you know, I, I'm just ballparking this, but a big bull elk might weigh, you know, 800 pounds on the hoof. And by the time you, you quarter him up and, you know, if, if, if it's me, I would recommend learning how to do, you know, uh, um, uh, the gutless method. And then from there, you know, if you're not familiar with what I'm saying, the, the gutless method is after you've taken a, an animal, um, you know, rather than 
the, the kind of the old school way, the, the first thing that we would do when I was a kid um, is, is we would, we would remove the, the guts and the innards, you know, and everything. Um, and that was just mostly to, to let everything cool down. You know, you had to get all that stuff out to let things cool um, because it was usually you were going to haul the, the carcass whole back to camp, maybe let it hang or whatever before you went home in a couple of days. Well, when you're in the back country and you might be 10 miles deep, that's really not a concern because you're getting your meat and you're getting the head and the cape and you're getting out of there right now. Mm-hmm. And so I would highly recommend, you know, just YouTube it, uh, gutless method. Um, you're taking, it, it's really simple. You know, you're just, you're cutting the hide off of one side and then taking, um, you know, the, the two quarters that are on that side. And then you can get the back straps from there. And then you've got to be careful, but you can get the inner loins from there. Um, you can take all the neck meat that you want. You can take all the rib meat, obviously. It's right there, you know, completely exposed and everything. And then flip everything over and do it again. Um, so when you're done, you've got your four your four quarters or your four, you know, hind and front quarters, um, uh, back straps, loins, and then any excess meat that you've got from the neck and the, and the ribs and whatever else. Um, at that point, if I was with pack animals and I didn't have the extra space, I would still break that animal down and debone it. Um, and so then we would, we'll hang a quarter, you know, a hind quarter, for example, from a tree and we're cutting, we're doing what we would do at home in the, in the kitchen. We're just doing it right there on the mountain because why pack that, you know, I mean, those, those bones are huge. And, and plus, as we go through the process, we can cut out some of the gristle and fat and everything that we're going to cut out at home. You know, it's like, why, why pack that um, if you don't have to? Um, but so all that being said, um, if you've got two llamas um, and you've killed a bull, I think that you can easily expect those two llamas to divvy up all the meat between a bull. And then you might have to pack the head in the cape yourself. Um, you know, if it's a deer or a smaller bull, or, you know, you've got maybe more llamas or something, you might be able to get everything on the llamas. Um, at that point, you know, if, if you're relatively conservative packing in, you, you've got a downed animal on the llamas, and then you just bundle up your pack um, or your camp, I mean, you know, your, your tent, sleeping bag, everything else. And just throw that on your back as if you would have done anyway. And most guys are okay with that because you just eliminated a trip. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you cut it down to one trip getting out instead of, geez, if you were by yourself and kill the bull, you might, it might take you four trips plus camp. You know, I, I don't know, but yeah, um, no. anyway, so, you know, you, you can do the math. It just depends on what you're hunting and, and how much camp stuff you have and how many llamas, but each llama can, can handle, you know, easily handle 80 pounds. Uh, and, and they'll do that for a long, long time. So, well, that sounds like a really pretty reasonable option. I mean, if you're, if you're looking and you're not, not quite sure that you are quite in the physical condition that you should be to be packing in and out of the backcountry, or if, or even if, you know, you are, and you're just not, not quite prepared to make all those trips and and uh pack all that meat out it sounds like a a pretty dang good option yeah yeah i think so i mean 
you know, we, for, as far as pricing goes, you know, I, um, our people can find us, um, and, and look up our, our, uh, our webpage is rentpacklamas.com. It's really simple. Um, the, the operation we have is backcountry logistics and you can see all the stuff on there. You know, we have some videos and stuff, but I mean, you, you can expect, um, even if you need to rent a trailer, um, two llamas and a trailer per day is, is about a hundred dollars. Um, and so, you know, say you're going on a five, six day hunt, five or 600 bucks, um, to not have to worry about how you're going to get your bull out getting, you know, you can have a really nice camp with good food. You don't have to eat mountain house every night. If you don't want all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you can get, <laughs> I, I've, I've just eaten enough mountain house now that it's any, anything but mountain house if I can help it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I won't complain. You know, they're what? not, they're not terrible as far as freeze dried food goes, but, uh, it, it's definitely, I can imagine how quickly it get old, gets old. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know we when when we were when we were young it, it it didn't matter as much i i don't know as you get older you just you know anyway um <laughs> so, so some days you just you're so you're literally so beat that um you're you know you might you're lucky if you have energy when you get back to camp it's dark you might have been down in the canyon chasing bulls and it just didn't work out and the bull you know when you when you when he ran into him, he was a mile from camp. And by the time you get done chasing him and his cows, trying to get him to turn around, you're, you're three miles from camp now. And you had to hike, you know, you lost 1500 feet vert and you didn't even realize it. And it's dark and you get back and it started raining and you're like, man, you know, you're lucky to even have the energy to fire up your jet boil, let alone, you know, you don't give a crap what that food tastes like. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> You could be eating, you know, the pine needles on the tree, and you wouldn't care. You just, you just eat. So. Eating for the sake of you know? something getting in your stomach, right? Yep. So, um, one thing I I kind of thought about as we were talking, you know, we we do we talk about the backcountry a lot, and I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. I mean, and you guys are team backcountry. Something I've realized is I've honestly never actually talked about – I mean, it may be it's self-evident, but as this is for new hunters, how would you really define the backcountry? Like, what is the backcountry? What would you define backcountry hunting as? Oh, man. Um, first thing is I, 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 I don't think that any guy I, – I, this is just me, t my personal opinion, obviously. I don't think anybody has the right to say what it is and what it isn't um, for anyone else. You know, I can tell you what the backcountry is for me, um, but my point is, is you know, for, for some guys, um, it might be – you know, the backcountry might be – uh, getting on a four wheeler or a dirt bike and heading in somewhere that, you know, you can't get your truck. And, and, and they might define that as backcountry um, because, you know, it, it, the, the point is, is it doesn't matter. I don't think, but, but for me, I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, you know, if, if it's not far enough from a, from a road or my camp or my truck that I, I don't need to stay the night out there, then it's probably not backcountry for me. Um, you know, obviously, like you get into these roadless areas, like the wilderness areas, and the you know the the uh, stuff like that, where you you can't take vehicles. I think you know, for me, that's backcountry. Um, 
you know, really this, I mean, anywhere that just gets you, you know, for me, it's anywhere that gets me out away from other, a lot of other hunters. Um, you know, that, that's, that's why I go where I go. Um, I don't know if that defines what the backcountry is, but, um, you know, if, if I wasn't getting away from a lot of other hunters, then it wouldn't be the backcountry to me. Um, you know, we, we eliminate, I feel like we eliminate, you know, 90, 95% or more of, of the hunting competition by, you know, getting in 10 miles. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had hunts where I went one mile and felt like I was in the back country. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I think it depends on the hunt. I think it depends on the hunter. Um, you know, it, it depends on a lot of things. Um, it, it's whatever, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Something to think about. I, I don't know exactly if I can define, you know, what, what it is and what it isn't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really expect a, a hard and fast definition, but more just, you know, when, yeah, when people talk about backcountry hunting, you know, it kind of, I guess, just just what well, your definition of that would be. And that that, that does explain know, it, you know. You know, and if, if, if you look at, I, I, I think if you look at, at why, why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, or, or what I'm trying to accomplish, it, it'll inversely it will it'll define what the backcountry is you know um for me one one thing was i grew up doing the wake up at you know 4 30 in the morning because you know you had to ride the four-wheeler you woke up you got breakfast you had to ride the four-wheeler for 30 minutes to get to the end of a road uh and then you had to hike you know for an hour in the dark um before light got there to get up to where you thought that the animals might be and what inevitably happened is, you know, you would get to where you really thought was like real good hunting country by nine o'clock, you know, or something like that. It was just like, well, geez, like I just got into the really, really good country. And so I'm here, but guess what? Everything's bedded down for the day or I missed it. Or the guy that was already up here on the mountain blew everything out already. Like, I, you know, what, what's the point? So then you'd sit around all day uh, you know, waiting or maybe glassing or whatever. And you'd get that prime, you know, hour, 30 minutes of last light. And, and you might have an encounter. You might not. Um, I personally think that the mornings in the backcountry are, um, you know, are, are more fruitful as far as seeing, seeing game and stuff like that. Um, but you would hunt until dark or, or well after dark, like, you know, that elk, elk scenario, we were saying, like, you know, you get chasing a bull and, and he's down off in a canyon or a buck or whatever. And then it was like, holy cow, I still got to hike down and out to camp to get or down to my four wheeler and then drive back. And I'm, you know, in the summer, especially, you know, we're hunting these early season hunts and it's, it's light until like nine o'clock or whatever. And so you might not get back to camp until, you know, 1030. And then by the time you get a meal, it's 11. And guess what? You got to wake up at four the next day and do it again. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is crazy. In fact, I, I can't do it. I, I'm, I will all admit like that would beat me down faster than any backcountry mountain that I've ever hunted. And so it just really quick, it was like, oh, I'll just sleep up on the mountain, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the, that was the first thing is like, 
eliminating that extra hour of travel time, you know, before sunup and after sundown. And I was getting two more extra hours of sleep. Plus I was waking up in the really, really good hunting country. It was a no brainer for me just because of that. The other thing obviously is people, people, they can say what they want, but most people won't do it. Most people will not consistently go 10 miles deep into the most rugged places in the Western United States just to kill a deer or an elk. And, and I love that. I'm so thankful that they don't because if they did, we would have a lot crappier hunts, you know, because we're just dumb enough and stupid enough to, to do it, you know? And so if you're willing to do it, trust me, there is a plethora of great country out there. There's deer and elk, uh, you know, back there that the guys can hunt, but you, you gotta be willing to get back there somehow, you know? And so that, that was the other big reason of, of why we looked into the backcountry is just eliminated hunting pressure. The quality of hunts went up. We were seeing more animals. They were less spooked because they weren't near roads and people and stuff like that. Um, and so they, you know, they were more apt to bed down out in the open, you know, especially like a velvet buck or something like that, where we could get a stock on him and just, I mean, all sorts of things like that, you know, of, of why, you know, and that's, it's, it's probably all obvious, but that's, that's why we looked, looked and found the backcountry. So you kind of touched on a little bit of it with, uh, with what you're just saying there, but if you had to pick one thing that is, you know, and I, this may be tough, but if you had to pick one thing that you would consider to be your absolute favorite part about backcountry hunting, like the one thing that you could point to and be like, you know what, that's what I, I just love most about being a backcountry hunter. What would it be? I'm at work right now sitting at my desk. So I want to say that my phone, I don't have any cell service. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, and, and, and trust me, in the world that we live in today, um, I think that we're all probably a little, I, I know I am, I'll speak for myself, I'm too attached to my phone and my device and social media as much as we love it and all that. And so that, that's no joke, like, it really is probably the best week, you know, weeks of my life is when I, I just don't even have to worry about it. I shut it down and I go in there. But no, I mean, honestly, the best part of hunting the backcountry um yeah just and i i don't know eat probably probably just being with my friends um or or family um and being back there um when you when you go on a backcountry hunt with someone and i'm and i again this is my backcountry it might be different for everyone like we said but um you know when when you put a pack on with someone and you know you're 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 headed up a trail and you're all you're working hard and you know you're you're back there chasing deer for a week and you're watching each other fail and you're watching each other succeed and you, you know your buddy knocks a deer down and it's his first buck ever and you see that smile light up on his face and just like you know you know that you were a part of that and you helped him like that's the, that's by far the best part, you know, and, and, and I'm not even sure that that's specific to the backcountry. Um, you know, that, that's just, that's just what we do. You know, that's just why we hunt. I think, um, you know, being able to take meat back to our families is, is a nice bonus too. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. That's there, there, there's so many things. Uh, so many things. I, I love the serenity of it. I love the camaraderie with with other hunters um, that are willing to to do the the things that, that I like to do. And then and then I love uh, providing for my family. So there's there's that's a threefold answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I I it's that's a bit of a loaded question. You know, <laughs> from yeah. for someone that hunts so much, but uh, you know and. So then in the inverse, and once again, this may be another loaded question, but what would you maybe point to as uh, maybe the most challenging thing you encounter uh, with backcountry hunting? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to answer this. This isn't specific to backcountry hunting. It's, it's just hunting in general. Um, but uh, honestly, the, the biggest challenge for me is not getting caught up in, in a lot of the hoopla. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, not keeping myself in check and not getting caught up um, worrying what is, what is so-and-so going to think if I don't kill a big bull on this hunt? What is, you know, um, what are my friends going to say if I come out of here empty-handed, um, you know? what i don't know if that makes sense but just just you know the biggest challenge when you get into hunting i think is remembering what the right reasons are for hunting you know and and not not getting too caught up in quote unquote the industry or quote unquote the you know the the hunting community or or whatever you know doing it for wrong reasons i think um that's that's honestly the hardest part i i think you know the hunt itself is there's no there's nothing hard about it that I that I don't love. You know I trust me it's you know there's the physical side and you know staying in physical shape and that's really hard and everything like that. But um, I I think we're not careful. Um, you know worrying about that kind of stuff. You know what what the next guy's going to think or or you know not hunting for the right reasons will destroy. Um, it, it can destroy why we hunt and, and, and frankly, if it keeps going, it might divide us and destroy, you know, hunting in general. I mean, we, it, you know, we, we've got a lot bigger fights to fight, um, you know, with all this public land stuff that's going on and, you know, things like, you know, wolves and all, there, there's just so many things out there that we all as hunters should be worrying about. I feel like we, we fall into the trap of, you know, Hey, I'm comparing myself to this guy. And, you know, why does he think that, you know, I, uh, Zach Griffith, you know, I was listening to his podcast and, and I, I love Zach, you know, we we're, we're friends and we've, we've talked quite a bit and, you know, um, we're, we're completely different. Um, but, but, you know, I'll never look at Zach. I don't think and say, you know, well, why do you have to lift weights or, you know, be a bodybuilder to kill a deer? And, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of other guys that, you know, or into that kind of stuff. And it, it's just, it's just pointless. Um, you know, and that's, that, that to me is the biggest challenge that, that all hunters face is just realizing that man, if we don't, if we aren't all united, just in general as hunters, I don't care if you like to bodybuild. I don't care if you like to hunt the backcountry. I don't care if, you know, you're a, a male or a female or, um, you know, you, you rifle hunt or bow hunt. It's just all pointless. And, and, um, you know, we're just hurting ourselves if, if we don't watch out for that kind of stuff. So, you know, and I'll admit, um, as a new hunter, 
and especially kind of doing what I'm doing. I've, like I said, I'm brand new at this. I'm planning my first hunt. I've yet to take an animal. I've done a little bit of tree stand hunting. I've not been successful. Um, but going into this, you know, I've gotten a chance to talk with some amazing people and I've put myself out there and I've been documenting this whole process and things like that. And I will admittedly find myself getting into these moments where, you know, and it's always like late at night when my brain won't shut off and I sit there and I think, (laughs) and I'm like, you know, what happens if I don't take anything? And I mean, I'm like, I know, I, I honestly know the chances of me on my very first hunt going out and, and taking an elk are pretty slim, you know, it's on, you know, just on a DIY public land hunt. I, I fully understand what I'm doing to myself. Um, (laughs) but, but then I, you know, I also sit and think like, you know, okay, you know, I've spent this last year talking the talk, um, what happens, you know, when I go out and, you know, am unsuccessful and does that just mean I, you know, it, it, my brain starts going and it goes down this, this whirlpool and I start worrying about what other people think of me and, you know, and it's, it's just not a good place to be. And so I, I very much see where you're coming from with that, uh, with that thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think over the counter tags bad wait wait till you you're in this for you know a few years and you start drawing some like you know highly coveted limited entry tags that took you you know maybe 5 10 15 20 points sometimes in some states i mean there's there's guys in utah for example that it takes them 20 years to draw these tags and i've heard and i've seen them say things like, well, I can't shoot that bull or I don't want to shoot this bull or I have to shoot a bull that's at least this big, you know, because this is how people look at this. When you draw this tag with this many points, you have to kill this size of a bull. And I'm like, man, maybe, maybe that's just fine for people to, to have that type of motivation. But, um, you know, I, I can't help but think that, you know, we, they might have the wrong mentality, um, you know, and, and maybe that's not even for me to say, you know, maybe that's the point is maybe I should be more accepting of that. But, um, you know, the, the problem comes when we divide ourselves, you know, it's not that that guy thinks he has to kill a certain size bull with a certain tag with a certain number of points, or that you think you have to kill a bull with over the counter on your first hunt. It's the problem comes when we divide, you know, and that's, that's the point in this, in this world that we're living in of, of hunting and stuff, it's a, it's a fragile gift that we have, I think. And, and so, you know, we, regardless of what our expectations are of each other or ourselves, we stay united and everything's going to be great, you know? And I, I think you're going to be highly successful. I think you're going to, I think you're going to do better than you think. Um, I think you're going to, you know, you're going to have a great hunt regardless of whether you kill or not. So whatever it I is, I could you know honestly whatever whatever happens with it i'm just i either way i'm so excited you know there there is always that little bit of nervousness about you know how am i gonna do am i gonna be successful am i gonna 
you know, be out there for only four days before I decide, ah, crap, this is, you know, <laughs> that I will admit, though, that is the one thing. Um, If I go out and I'm there the whole time and I'm busting my butt and I'm out there and I and I I see something, I don't see something, whatever happens. But if I if I'm out there the whole time and I'm and I'm I'm pushing 100 percent the whole time. It'll be a successful hunt for me. If yep. the the one thing that will make it an unsuccessful hunt for me is if I go out there and then after four days I decide, you know what, I'm too tired, this is too hard, I just can't do this, and then I come back. Or if I do stay out, well, but then after four days I decide, you know what, um, and I kind of just half-ass it for that time that's yeah. that's in my mind what'll make it an unsuccessful hunt for me if i if you i know, just kind of give up and turn turn in the towel yeah you know and and my my opinion that's that's only an unsuccessful hunt if you don't come back the next year and push harder and you get in better shape because you didn't realize you were needed to be that good a shape or you know something happens with your bow and you know you didn't know that you needed to know your equipment or or whatever, you know, you didn't realize that you were going to miss your friends or your family back home or whatever. It's, it's only a failure if the next season rolls around and you don't fix that problem and move on and, and conquer it. You know, that's, you know, if, if you let it beat you, then, then it was an unsuccessful hunt. Um, my, my very first elk hunt in Colorado, my very first backpacking hunt, in fact, where I was really putting on a pack um, and going deep into just you know, some remote, remote country. Um, luckily my wife went with me, um, or I would have turned around a lot sooner, but I still, I packed out early. I did exactly what you're saying. Um, hundreds of dollars, you know, for a tag, hundreds of dollars in gas and preparation and gear. And I wasn't, I wasn't physically ready, but mostly I wasn't mentally ready. And I'll tell you if, you know, whatever training you're doing physically to get ready for a backcountry hunt, if you're a guy that's just getting into it, it sounds, it sounds weird, but you need to do twice as much mental training. Um, <clears throat> that's where I think books like Cameron Haynes's book can come in handy because he goes, he, he talks about that stuff that a lot of guys don't really like to talk about. Um, loneliness, you know, if, especially if you're going by yourself. Um, fear, you know, things that you run into in the backcountry that will really talk you into to turning around. And all of a sudden, um, before you know it, you're back to the truck three days early and you're, you know, you're driving down the road and it's all over, you know, and, um, and, and that was me the first time, but you know what, um, that individual hunt, yes, yeah, so it was, it was, I was unsuccessful. I didn't kill. I, I didn't even, I didn't even stick it out, you know, um, but the next year I did, you know, and then the next year after that, I got a little bit better, and, you know, and, and now it's no problem. You know, we, we go into the backcountry now for, I would go for a, I would go for a week or a year or a month or as long as I can possibly get. Um, and it's, it's no problem, you know, but I, man, if, if there's people out there that are wondering, like, I don't know if I can really do this or, you know, what if I fail, like, who cares? You know, I mean, we, we do it now and, you know, we're not, we're definitely not successful every time and we're not even close to the best backcountry hunters out there, but, um, you know, we, we've come a long ways. And so, 
you know, everybody can, everybody can do that. So. Well, that is definitely, uh, definitely gives me something to think about. And I feel like it's, it's very good advice. Um, so one thing, you know, uh, as we're kind of winding down here, one thing I always really like to ask, uh, all my guests, um, because this show is dedicated more towards new hunters and folks like myself coming from the city who may feel overwhelmed or intimidated or or just really feel like there's too much to figure out to get into hunting, get into the outdoors, get into backcountry hunting. Um, do you have any advice or any uh, any words of encouragement for folks like that? Um, just maybe who uh who feel the need to have this a little bit de- demystified yeah um well two two things come to mind um the first one is is the physical and mental preparation i mean it, it's just it's it's you can't unless you've been there and done it and been in in the type of country that we typically hunt, <clears throat> hunt in the back country you just can't understand how taxing and how hard it is. So whatever training level you're at, you can, everyone can probably ramp it up, you know, just another notch or whatever. Um, and, and you will not, <laughs> you, you won't regret it. I promise you. I, I don't know if anyone goes into the backcountry and <clears throat> after five, six days of hunting comes out and says, wow, I was in too good a shape. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, that it, it just doesn't happen. You know, this there's always one more ridge that you can go over. There's always a, a buck that's a little bit further than you think you can make, and you know, and so you, you just can't be in too good a shape. Um, the the other thing is, I did not understand the resources that are out there um, that can really solve a lot of your problems. Um, you know, things like using a, a, a calling up a biologist that's over the area in the state that you want to hunt. You know, if, if you haven't made a phone call to them before the season, <clears throat> excuse me, just to, uh, you know, just to get an idea from them of, you know, a starting point, um, I would highly recommend that. Um, you know, things like the, the books that we're talking about, um, Google Earth. Um, you know, we, anymore, we draw these tags that we've never stepped foot in. Um, and with the, the technology that we have, um, I, I, I literally will, will hike into a country and stand on a peak and feel like I've already been there before because you, you can see it from Google Earth. You know, you, I can put myself right on a peak in the middle of the nastiest country that I plan on hiking into and sit there, you know, almost as if I'm glassing on opening morning. And I know exactly what canyons are going to look like. I know exactly where I think the feeding areas are. I can mentally mark those in my head or I can mark them on my GPS. Um, you know, and so I, I, it's as if I've done a scouting trip already without going there. Um, so th- there's just a lot of resources out there um forums podcasts now you know these these podcasts i learn something new every single time i listen to these podcasts and i've been doing this for for quite a while 
Um, but there's some really good podcasts out there, yours included already. I mean, you've had some incredible people on here aside from, from us. We're just regular guys, but <laughs> <laughs> I um, think you're, uh, think you're uh, not giving yourself enough credit here. So, <laughs> but no, just, you know, just understanding the resources that are out there, um, you know, and, and utilizing them. Um, you know, if, if you're really new to it and you haven't even applied and, uh, you know, found a unit that you want to hunt, I would, I would use a, a service like go hunt, uh, go hunt.com that has like, I mean, these, these guys have got it dialed. I mean, I spend, I, I have, a, there's probably half of the tags that I applied for this year. I would not have applied and had no idea that, that there was that quality of animals in that unit, in that state. If I hadn't, have, you know, didn't have a subscription to that. And so you know, if, if you're not familiar with it, you can get on and just, man, it, you know, it's, it's not really application season right now. So this would have been a good podcast for back in February <laughs> <laughs> now for, you know, next year or whatever. There's even, they even have over the counter information on there. So I was going to say, I still definitely are- use it for, uh, I have a, I have an insider membership, a Gohan insider membership. Uh, and so I definitely yeah. use it for selecting my over the counter units. There's a lot of good info in there. And there's also still yeah. a few, you know, depending on the species and the state, there's still, you know, a few hunts left to draw. Most of them are, most of them are up, but there's definitely options out there. Um, I've also yeah. talked a lot with the guys at Hunt and Fool and they offer some really great, uh, uh, really great services similar as well. Um, and they have a feature where you can actually call someone up and literally sit and talk through them you know, with, yeah. with them, what you're, what you're trying to do. There's so many great services out there for people. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would not feel like, um, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't feel like I was cheating or like, you know, I, I don't know. There's kind of a stigma that if you're using something like that, where someone's helping you, you're, it's like a, a form of a guided hunt or something like that. And I mean, I just, I wouldn't feel like that at all. I mean, this is, again, this isn't a competition between hunters. This is just a competition with yourself. And so any advantage, you know, that's a, a fair legal advantage that you can get, um, use it, you know, if, if, especially if you can afford the, you know, some of these memberships and stuff or, but you know, there's, there's just a lot of resources. Um, that being said, I mean, I, I think that it would be, um, you know, a little, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it wouldn't be right of me to, uh, you know, we're, we're, we can be a resource. We love, you know, we, we don't cost anything. And so free advice is, you know what they say about free advice, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we love talking hunting. Uh, you can email us anytime team backcountry at gmail.com, or you can obviously find us on all of our social media pages, but hit us up. I mean, if, if, you know, if we get the idea that you're, um, serious about this kind of stuff, I, I don't hold back really anything, you know, I, I might not give you a specific ridge to head for, but you know, I've told guys units and hunts and I mean the gear, uh, all those questions that we've gone through, like why, why learn for yourself the hard way? You know, if you can get someone that's done it for 10 or 15 years to give you some heads up pointers, like, man, you probably don't want, you know, to pack that cook stove. You might want to look at this or, you know, have you, you know, maybe these socks would be better to keep blisters off your feet or whatever. Like feel free to use us, um, as a resource. This is what we, we think about this year round. 
we love talking about it and just associating with other guys that are passionate uh, like we are. So we, we'd love to be a resource too. That's fantastic. And you know, I'll, uh, I'll be putting up a show notes page for this episode. That'll be at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 20 for episode 20. And, uh, you know, it'll have links to all the different sites we've talked about. Um, it'll also have links to all your guys' social media pages. But speaking of that, um, you uh, shot out your email address, but uh, your website is team-backcountry.com. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And then you're pretty much team backcountry on all the various social medias, right? Yeah, Instagram is the one that we spend most of our time on. Um, you can obviously get us on Facebook. You know, I think everyone's on Facebook nowadays, but um, we we spend most of our time on on uh, Instagram as the social media platform that we like. So, well, you know, you guys yep. have some fantastic photos up here. Um, you know, I'm just scrolling through it right now, and it's just, hmm. it, it's just, it's. I'm getting all excited again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, um, you know, we, we all take our turn with cameras a little bit, but really the, the magic there is my brother, Jason. He's, uh, he's the one that does 99.9. Well, I'll say, I'll be honest and say a hundred. He does a hundred percent of the editing of the photos <laughs> and he's taking 99.9% of them. He's just, he's the, uh, the whole operation there. So anyway, we, we appreciate having, I appreciate having him part of the team. So. Well, Dustin, I really appreciate you hopping on the call with me today and taking the time out of your day to sit and talk with me about hunting. Um, no problem. Love it. This is just the greatest time of the year. We have our tags and like most guys know what they drawn. And I was just making plans today with, uh, you know, a guy that's going to come join us on one of our hunts and do some filming, um, which is a big step for us to have like, a, you know, a someone doing some quality filming and editing and like we're just brainstorming where we're gonna trailheads and like when scouting you know when we're doing these scouting trips and it's just man i i love it i this is thank you for having me on so i could talk about it all day but i'll let you go i <laughs> know <laughs> i'm i'm definitely the same way but you know as i always say i don't think people are going to start listening to these podcasts if they turn into like joe rogan length uh episode so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah thanks again for hopping on no problem thanks for having us all right y'all that'll do it for episode 20 of living country in the city make sure you check out dustin and team backcountry you can find all those links on our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 20 also if you enjoy the podcast make sure you subscribe take a moment to give us a rating and review on itunes or stitcher and in the meantime Stay country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. 